Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, the health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. So few people would argue that breast is not best when it comes to feeding a newborn. Mm. People have called it miracle elixir and all kinds of things. It's filled with vitamins and nutrients. Yes. (laughs) And, you know, it's free and the body's been designed to create this and et cetera, et cetera. We all know the arguments. However, it's not always possible for a woman to breastfeed. It's not always physically possible or practically. And for some reason, this is an incendiary debate. It's something you've written about in the past. Yes. And... It's been explosive, hasn't it? Absolutely. Every time I write about it, I get flooded with messages and tweets from people on both sides of the argument. Some who say that breastfeeding is absolutely the only way that you should feed your newborn who are Mm. perhaps breastfeeding up until the age of five. And others who say, do you know what? It's actually the evidence that breastfeeding is better isn't as strong as perhaps it has been portrayed to be. My take as an objective party in all of this is that there's nothing particularly wrong with formula milk, although some people call it junk food, ultra-processed food, terrible for babies, and they seem to suggest that it's going to make babies fat or it's going to make babies somehow their immune systems... Get eczema and asthma and, yeah. Yeah, and it's blamed for all kinds of things. And, And there are studies that do seem to link these problems in children and kids who've been exclusively formula fed. And... Back in the 1950s, maybe the pendulum swung too far in another direction and that it became very commonplace for women to be recommended to have formula milk rather Mm. than breastfeed. But nowadays, we're much more attuned to the natural and the healthiest options and all those kinds of things. But it, it does seem like something swung very far in the other direction. And an extreme example of this came up last week amid the scores of shocking stories that have been unearthed in the wake of the Health Select Committee report into maternity deaths that found there are a thousand preventable deaths a year in England in babies. And it was this one case of Cooper Needham in Nottingham. And you've been looking into that, haven't you? Yes, I have. So it it seems as though, I mean, this is a terribly tragic story and the the exact facts are not clear as of yet. But what we do know is this little boy, Cooper, was struggling to feed very early on after he was born. Um, And this was flagged to midwives. By the parents? By the parents, yes. Mm. That they were really worried that he wasn't feeding. They also felt that he was slightly lifeless, wasn't moving much. I think he cried once. But they were told, no, that's absolutely normal. In fact, within the first 48 hours after birth, it's completely fine if babies aren't feeding much. They they don't actually expect them to. And so they should wait for a bit and continue to encourage breastfeeding until 48 hours has passed and then perhaps they take action. And interestingly, I think there's a couple of campaigning groups that have pointed this out recently. Actually, this is the policy across many hospital trusts all over the country. There is an emphasis on safeguarding breastfeeding as much as possible. And therefore, it doesn't really matter too much if some time has passed and the baby hasn't fed at all. When you say safeguarding breastfeeding, what does that mean? So prioritising breastfeeding over formula milk or supplementation. And is there a suggestion that in this case, if the midwives had said, 
try this bottle instead, that something that there would have been a different outcome. So an inquest found that unfortunately Cooper died from an underlying metabolic condition. So there's nothing to suggest that if midwives had been feeding him formula milk that he would have survived. We don't know that yet. But it is a very strong indication, not feeding or feeding um, behaviour, of underlying conditions and something that's going on that's very sinister. And perhaps if the focus hadn't been just on making sure that the mother was breastfeeding, the staff might have been more attuned to picking up Mm. something else. One of the reasons that we come back to this topic time and again is because for some reason people we know keep having negative experiences when it comes to breastfeeding or that breastfeeding has been somehow pushed on them almost at the expense of their their own well-being and their child's health. One person that springs to mind is our friend journalist Kat Keogh and we've got Kat on the line to talk about this from her own perspective Kat, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. It's a story that you've told me before and it never fails to upset me when when you tell it. But taking it back to the beginning, I'm right in thinking that it was when Flynn was very small, you noticed that he was having problems feeding. Would you take us through that? Yeah, sure. So Flynn, I'm glad to say, turned six last week and he's a very um, happy and healthy uh, boy. But just back to the time he was born, you know, I was a first time mum. I was quite a nervous mum as well, looking back. And, you know, the first few days went by. It was really difficult trying to breastfeed him. It just didn't seem to be working. I was getting very stressed, very tearful. You know, he obviously was quite distressed because he wasn't feeding. And to be absolutely honest, I was not prepared for how difficult it was in reality. And, you know, as the days went by, I was getting more and more stressed. It just wasn't working. Luckily for me, I've got, you know, a, a big family. So I had like an amazing support network in that my mum was a very practical mother. She knows the stuff. Um, I've got a sister who's a nurse. And it was actually appealing to them saying, I don't know what to do. And my older sister, who herself at the time had two children, said, you know, go to the supermarket, get some premix formula, you've got to feed your baby. And I cannot tell you the guilt I felt um, standing in that supermarket aisle in Tesco. Um, You know, I was so sleep deprived. What was it that was stressing you about using formula milk? I mean, considering that you'd had such a problem breastfeeding, that this was going to be the solution, why would you feel bad about that? Do you know, it's hard to pinpoint it. It certainly wasn't coming from my partner. It wasn't coming from my family. It wasn't coming from my friends. But it was this innate guilt. And I think, looking back, it is, because at the time, it just, you know, you're always told breast is best. This is what the guidance is. And I just don't think there's enough of a conversation pre-birth about formula feeding. It's this suggestion that breastfeeding is is the optimal way to feed your child and there's no getting around that but I think there's got to be some consideration for the mother that sometimes it's just if it doesn't work for whatever reason you've really got to rid yourself of that guilt. As I remember when we talked about this before there had been some comments from a breastfeeding mentor or trainer saying that you really needed to try harder? Yeah, Flynn was about six weeks old and I went to some sort of mum and baby group. It was a support group. So it was like a a volunteer. It wasn't a 
registered healthcare professional. And, you know, I said, I'm still having problems feeding. How long have you tried it for? I said, six weeks. And she, she looked at me and said, well, darling, if you've gone for six weeks, you can go for another six. And it just had the opposite effect. And at that oh, point, God. I remember getting in the car and my, my other half had come to pick me up. And I just said, Rob, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm not doing this anymore. And, and that was the point that I completely switched to formula feeding. And I think relief and the effect on my mental health was such that it just, the weight was lifted. Kat, can I ask you, do you think that Flynn suffered at all from the sort of prolonged commitment to breastfeeding despite the fact that it wasn't working very well? And then did you see a kind of instant benefit when you switched to formula and it, and it you know, it worked? Physically, no. However, for those first six weeks, he had a very stress-worried mum. And I don't mm. think that's good for any baby. He wasn't at the stage where he was losing a lot of weight. We were maintaining the weight, but I was supplementing, you know, the breastfeeding with formula. So I didn't see any sort of marked change. The change was in me as a mother, I think. The change was in me and my confidence looking after my baby. And, you know, there is that mantra of happy mum, happy baby, but it's so true. I, I do feel even now when we talk about it, it's it still feels close to the bone. So I really appreciate you going through everything. And thanks for finding some time to talk to us, Kat. I've spoken to Kat about that quite a few times over the years. And it, it did trigger us doing lots on this subject because, as she says, you're in such a vulnerable position as a new mum. And But the other thing that she always says is there seems to have evolved this culture of comparisons that that women women somehow compare one another Mm. of course there are also serious concerns that there is a big problem with women not being supported enough to breastfeed that they're not shown how or they're not given the right guidance at a critical time and so abandon it altogether and the whole thing has turned into quite a almost toxic debate Mm. because, you know, you've got groups of people saying that formula milk's like junk food, that the formula milk industry has been pushing this agenda to try and sell more powders and it's in their interests for women to give up on breastfeeding. On the other side, you've got groups saying that all babies should be formula fed as default so you would eliminate certain serious illnesses. So, you know, I mean, it's it's turned into a whole big, quite heated debate, hasn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think now maybe we should speak to somebody who works with women um, who have just given birth. On the line now is Lindsay Hookway, who is a paediatric nurse and a lactation consultant. Lindsay, some breastfeeding campaigners have likened giving a newborn baby a bottle of formula to giving them processed junk food. What do they mean by that? Oh, well, I think that's quite an extreme view. I don't think that's a representative view of all breastfeeding supporters, certainly. What they mean, of course, is that it's not the biologically normal mammalian food for babies. So all mammals make species-specific milk for their infants. And what infant formula is, is modified cow's milk. And of course, they alter the composition so that it's suitable for human infants and they add whatever minerals or micronutrients are missing when they modify cow's milk. I certainly don't think that we should be calling it junk food 
Infant formula is, of course, a parental choice. And it's sometimes medically necessary. And, you know, I, I think a lot of parents feel a huge amount of negative feelings and guilt and, um, you know, all sorts of unhelpful things when people call it things like junk food. So mm. I don't think that's a, a helpful thing for infant feeding advocates to be saying. But what would the kind of supposed harms of giving a, a newborn baby a bottle of formula rather than breast milk be? Well, of course, it, first of all, it's about parental choice. So if, if a mother or parent wants to breastfeed, then we should be supporting her to breastfeed. Um, infant formula is not a breastfeeding solution. Uh, it can be a medically necessary solution, but it, it won't support a baby to learn how to breastfeed. Um, so it's about parental choice. In terms of harm, there is some evidence to suggest that when you give babies an alternative product to suckle on that isn't a human breast, then that does imprint different suckling patterns. So um, newborn babies learn how to breastfeed by breastfeeding and introducing a hard silicon teat um, isn't particularly helpful for that. But also it exposes them to a foreign protein, um, which you know might be problematic if that infant is susceptible to certain atopic diseases or allergy. Um, so that's not very helpful either. Um, but I think most of all, the harm with that is that it undermines parental confidence. And as soon as we start making the suggestion that a mother doesn't have enough milk or her milk is not good enough, or there's something wrong with the compositional volume, that can really have quite long lasting detrimental effects on their well-being um, and their confidence and their ability to believe that they can breastfeed their baby. You talk about choice and, you know, of course that's the right way to go. But something that we hear time and again is that women who struggle to breastfeed in the longer term and really would like to use a bottle feel terrible about doing so because of a kind of, I suppose, an, a consensus that somehow they're not doing the right thing for their child by using formula. And really, the medical evidence doesn't massively support that. So there's a situation that I just don't think can be denied, that there are women out there in distress, that they're unable to breastfeed and resisting using formula when in fact it would be the best thing for the child's health and for their health too, for their mental well-being. What do you say to that? Well, I mean, it's a really complex problem because it, it speaks to a massive lack of support for parenting in general. So I, I think fundamentally there is an underinvestment in parenting and mothering and how we feed our babies. And, and that might be breastfeeding, bottle feeding or combination feeding for that matter. So I, I think that's part of it. But I also think that breastfeeding advocates are there to support people who want to breastfeed. Um, we're, we're not but that's out. not what's happening in reality, is it? You know, what we hear, we hear time and again is people saying they feel terrible, you know, that they cry, that they um, feel like failures as a mother because they can't breastfeed. How have we got into a situation where you're saying that a breastfeeding advocate wants to support women and you've got a whole section of society who feel cast aside, who feel terrible about themselves at a time when they're incredibly vulnerable how how have we got there and what you know what can we do to repair this situation I don't think there's an easy answer to it because you know ultimately people do feel guilty when they don't achieve what they wanted to achieve and that might be 
um, of vaginal birth as opposed to a cesarean birth, for example. You know, there are all sorts of things that can happen to derail people's um, experiences. Um, and I think we, we need to remember our compassion. Um, it, it's not about pitting you know, one form of feeding against another, but it is true that breastfeeding is the biological norm. Of course, formula is necessary, and of course that it should be supported, but it is a biological norm. And we know that even in industrialized um, nations with safe water, we know that uh, breastfed babies um, are less likely to become unwell in the long term. And, uh, you know, of course, you know, on, a, on an individual level, that might not be seen, but we can't argue with the macro level, which, which looks at large population data. So if you look at the Lancet report, for example, it's very, very clear that giving babies formula does increase on a, on a big scale um, their risk of allergy and, and other diseases. So I think, you know, parents aren't stupid and they know that. And I think that feeds into some of those feelings of um, disappointment and distress. And actually what we need to do is invest in parents better. We need to invest in infant feeding better so that people who want to be able to breastfeed are enabled to, uh, you know, uh, you speak of distress. Well, of course, you know, people like me deal with that on a, on a daily basis. We know all too well that people are distressed by it. But just saying, oh, well, don't worry, give them a bottle isn't necessarily the answer unless that's also their informed choice. Well, Lindsay, I'm sure many mothers would be thrilled to have a breastfeeding support worker as switched on and compassionate as you are. So thank you so much for joining us today. I think it's interesting that breastfeeding consultants speak about this very complex situation, that it's very difficult for women to make the decision and there's lots of factors and X, Y, Z, when actually when you speak to these women, it's very cut and dry. They feel pressured by midwives. They feel pressured by breastfeeding consultants. Their family and their friends are saying, just do what is right for you. If you want to go for the bottle, just do that. But the people who are supposedly caring for them and trying to support them to make the best decision for their health and their baby's health are making them feel hugely guilty. And it's a very simple situation. And if they didn't have that influence, they wouldn't feel so crap. But it's difficult to know without proper research into this aspect of the situation how much of this is anecdote, you know, how much of this is, is fact. I've certainly heard from many people like Lindsay that say that they're very neutral um, mm. in their approach and clearly there was a need to redress the balance that there was a very low breastfeeding rate when in fact... If more women were supported, you can get that up. And, and in fact, that's what's happened. We have seen a, a rise, but people say that there's more that could be done. But, you know, obviously it shouldn't be at the expense of someone's mental health. I think what's happened is that there's been these sets of guidelines that have been drawn up by various organisations and bodies and they're, they're quite prescriptive in terms of making sure that breastfeeding is protected, which maybe, you know, 30 years ago was incredibly important and, and perhaps, you know, an overstretched staff are looking at this and not kind of taking into consideration lots of other factors and just sticking to it. So now I think we're going to speak to somebody who has direct experience of this and believes that this is a, a problem. On the line now is Dr. Heather Ryan, who is a GP and a member of the Infant Feeding Alliance. Dr. Ryan, why do you think that hospitals are doing this, putting pressure on women to breastfeed? 
Oh, it's a really big and difficult issue, isn't it? I think the first thing to start by saying is that breastfeeding is is a great option for many families. You know, breast milk does have some health benefits compared to other methods of feeding, like formula. Breast milk is particularly important for premature and low birth weight babies. It has really big positive health impacts in those babies. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it's right and proper that we should be making sure that women know about the health benefits of breastfeeding and that we, you know, encourage women to to breastfeed if they want to and feel able to. But actually, you know, if you look at the evidence around infant feeding, although there are definitely health benefits from breastfeeding, I think sometimes those health benefits are dare I say, sometimes a bit overstated. If you look at the research, the problem is, is that certainly in the UK and the US, where a lot of the infant feeding studies are done, mothers are much more likely to breastfeed if they're well-off, well-educated and health literate. And that makes it really difficult to tease out whether their babies have got better outcomes because of the breast milk or because of the wider socioeconomic advantages they, they enjoy. And for example, you know, one really interesting study published in 2018 looked at various health outcomes in the infants of mothers who intended to breastfeed before their child was born, but then for whatever reason didn't breastfeed or couldn't breastfeed. And the research showed that mothers who intended to breastfeed had babies with fewer ear infections and respiratory syncytial virus infections compared with mums who didn't intend to breastfeed. And that was regardless of whether the baby was actually breastfed or not. You know, sometimes people make those benefits out to be a big deal and perhaps I'd argue they're not. For example, advocates of breastfeeding often talk about the fact that breastfeeding improves a baby's IQ. And the evidence suggests it does, but only to a tiny extent, to the extent of two IQ points. And actually, you know, that effect was most pronounced in people who were, you know, from socioeconomically deprived backgrounds. And although two IQ points may be statistically significant, it's very unlikely to actually change a child's life in any significant way. Dr Ryan, what we're talking about today is the promotion of breastfeeding by healthcare professionals in hospital. And something that people often say, and I believe the studies show as well, you mentioned studies, is that more women would breastfeed if they were given adequate support to do so, if they were shown how to do so properly. Is there anything wrong with that, you know, promoting it? supporting people to do it trying to encourage it no absolutely i think absolutely i think we need to encourage and support breastfeeding um you know and i think that lots of mums want to breastfeed and value breastfeeding and i think that absolutely mums should have access to good high quality support you know qualified lactation support but then in trying to support women has the pendulum swung so far in some quarters that breastfeeding is being promoted above all other options or to the detriment of everything else? Is is that what's happening? I mean, I think mothers I speak to sometimes feel that they've been made to feel that it's the only acceptable option. And I think, you know, as I say, I think there are lots of health benefits and I think it's really important that we promote and support breastfeeding and we make sure that breastfeeding support is adequately funded and is provided for mums. But I think it's really important that we remember that actually if a baby really can't breastfeed or doesn't feed or if a mum doesn't want to or doesn't feel able to, then actually we should be offering formula supplementation 
information if it's if it's clinically indicated. Dr Ryan, do you think that there's a lot of sort of shaming of parents, particularly mothers, for choosing to bottle feed, whether it's because that's always been their choice from the outset or whether it's because they've had a problem medically that means that they're unable to, to breastfeed easily? Yeah, certainly. So I, I suppose I fall into the, that category that you described. So I have two children and I ended up having to bottle feed for medical reasons, essentially. I had very poor milk supply due to a childhood medical condition that I'd had. And it's really, it's really interesting that, you know, as a doctor, I found that actually I was quite isolated in bottle feeding. You know, most doctors choose to breastfeed absolutely right and proper. But, you know, I, I found that actually there's a lot of guilt and shame. I found that in some cases, people essentially chose to distance themselves from me or not want to socialize with me because I didn't breastfeed. You know, I found there was a huge amount of social really? stigma. And I found that when I publicly talk about my feeding experiences, because actually, although I wanted to breastfeed and I did initially breastfeed, I found there were lots of positives to formula feed. It meant that my husband was able to help with feeds. It meant that he could help with night feeds and I got more sleep. And that's absolutely not a reason not to breastfeed if you can. But I'm just saying that I did find there were some, you know, there were some consolation points. There were some there were some good good aspects to formula feeding. Mm. Well, Dr. Ryan, listen, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your personal story and for taking the time to speak to us today. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Of all the subjects that we've covered over the years, I would say this one is perhaps one of the most incendiary and toxic. Oh, it drives people wild. Men as well. Interestingly, the last time I wrote about this, I had tweets from from middle-aged men. But I can totally understand that because men want to support their partners, their female partners, and, you know, they may have seen them struggle or they may have seen them... I mean, there's nothing more primal than wanting to protect the health and well-being of your partner who's just given birth. So, of course, men are going to be engaged in this topic. Completely. And I'll hold my hands up. I am biased. I was exclusively bottle-fed. My brother was exclusively bottle-fed. My mother, I had a conversation with her yesterday and she said... I didn't even want to know, didn't want to talk about it. No, uh, it wasn't even a decision. I wasn't doing it. Well, that explains everything. It, so. Yeah, it explains why I have many <laughs> problems. Um, no, but I mean, she was very ill after her first birth with my brother. She lost a lot of weight and became very, very sick and had to be hospitalised. And it was a traumatic birth. So I think that it was a kind of, she didn't want to think about anything mm. else apart from just recovering, which was, is a tr- the case for a lot of women, to be honest. Yeah. I was born by caesarean and I think I was breastfed for two weeks or something until my mum went back to work, which was totally normal. I mean, interestingly, I was speaking... My life has been never the same since. (laughs) (laughs) I was speaking to somebody yesterday who said that in the 80s, it was very much the norm to have midwives walking around with glucose syrup and bottles to just give to the babies while they were, you know, they'd just been born. and, And there was no kind of pressure or expectation that breastfeeding would be the norm. I think the the whole medicalisation in the 1950s came from this desire, well-meaning desire Mm. to um, combat neonatal deaths. Mm. I mean, if you look at how commonly babies died at the turn of the last century or the century before this one, compared to now... 
yeah. huge strides have been made. Mm. Do you think that there is a, an element of the clean eating movement that plays into all of this? Yes, I think that's why I'm fascinated by this subject because I am endlessly fascinated by our cultural obsession with wellness and changing what we eat and becoming absolutely obsessed with ideas about what we eat. Or just the idea that anything that is not entirely sort of dug straight out the ground and has... You know, a lump of dirt on it. Biologically similar, biologically Mm. identical. We see this in HRT as well, the the whole stink about bio-identical hormones or or something. Um, It's it's kind of... Yam. Yams, yeah. (laughs) This idea that anything that is natural is inherently better for us and is some sort of elixir is just... Well, it's nonsense. But I think when it comes to this, the natural is the better option, but it's not always the best option? I don't believe that breast is best because I think that we have to start seeing patients, mothers, whoever as 3D human beings with lots of other things going on and if, you know, this pandemic has told us anything, it's that life is complicated and that just because the study might tell you that X person gets Y disease because of they have G genetics or whatever it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to happen because of all the other different things that are going on in their life and I think that it might be that this baby would get one less infection a year if they were exclusively breastfed but the mother would be not able to do any of the things that made her feel good about herself, would be, you know, crippled with anxiety and guilt and would be completely sleep deprived and have no quality of life. And that's obviously not good for the baby or the mother. I think it comes down to something that you've always told me that we should be aiming for. And that's trying to be (laughs) food neutral. Food neutral. Yes. You have to weigh up individual cases, I suppose. I think putting anything that we ingest on a pedestal there lies madness because it's obviously going to come alongside blame and guilt and those are emotions that can really traumatise a person. But I do think it's undeniable that obviously on paper, as they say, breast milk is nutritionally superior and you can't deny that. I think that's very well evidenced. But just because it's nutritionally superior doesn't necessarily mean it's the best option. Well, I hope we've managed to get to the end of this with some kind of balance. I expect the trolls will come thick and fast. It's all we've got time (laughs) for this week. If you've got a question or a suggestion for a topic that we should be covering on Medical Minefield, go to Twitter and ask us using the hashtag medicalminefield. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>